There are white people who are not as powerful as the system of white people, the caste system that's been put in place, but they still, no matter where they are on the rung or the ladder of success, they still have their whiteness. Okay, thank you, Oprah. Talking about white privilege there. The billionaire, Oprah Winfrey. Um, We have more on the uh, violence and unrest in Chicago and Portland and and everywhere else. Uh, I need to follow up on that story. It's just so funny. Out of Tulane University, they canceled a speech by a guy. And just the more you dig into it, the more unintentional hilarity there is, uh, so we'll get to that eventually. Oh, and, and a follow-up on a conversation last week, the insidious ways web retailers get you to spend more, and weirdly enough, during the height of the COVID shutdown, when Amazon was getting overwhelmed, they found ways to make you spend less through, well, trickery, online trickery. It's really pretty interesting. So uh, stay tuned if you can. Glad you're here. If you have to tune out, uh, grab the podcast at armstrongandgetty.com. Uh, also at uh, the, the website, you'll find a, a, <clears throat> a video of some patriotic American fellows in Fort Collins, Colorado. Uh, what's, the, what's the proper term? Putting the ass whoop on some Antifa types who disrupted their neighborhood. But only after things turned a little ugly. They initially were very, very restrained. But anyway, that's at armstrongandgetty.com. You can also get some great A&G swag there. Matt Taibbi, who we have quoted a number of times in recent days, is a brilliant man. He is in his 40s. Do you think that's about right? Yeah, that sounds about yeah, right. Yeah, probably mid-late 40s. He's, he's a, a, a liberal-type guy, but he's an old-school liberal. He's been scathing of, uh, on Trump, um, but he's an extremely bright guy, and he writes very well. And lately, he's... He seems to have really embraced the I am going to tell the truth and write the truth as I know it thing, even in the face of the liberal media. And he is contradicting them uh, gleefully and eloquently on a number of different stories that we've mentioned through the recent weeks. The most recent one he is talking about, and, and we need a name, the Obamagate, Spygate, Russiagate thing, whatever you want to call it. Um, but the illegal, unethical, and absolutely indefensible spying on the Trump uh, transition team and campaign by elements of the Obama administration. And Taibbi, who is a, a big Hillary supporter and can't stand Trump, wrote a book called Insane Clown President uh, about you-know-who. and That's he, some pretty good anti-Trump credentials right yeah, there. he is not a Trump fan. <laughs> yeah, but he's been reporting on the strange story of Stephen Schrag, who is a longtime foreign policy expert. Uh, He was a, like, did he work for the CIA? I can't remember. Um, But he's a Ph.D. guy, and he he left Washington, D.C. because he was sick of the politics of it and went to uh, work at Cambridge, where he was supervised by one Stephen Halper, who's a spy, as it turns out, for the Brits. Uh, he's known as the walrus. He's a big old boy. Runs 350 pounds or so. But uh, Schrag writes, as the news was coming out about Spygate and the Steele dossier and the rest of it, 
the realization blindsided me in London as I was about to fly out for my wedding. The New York Times, NBC, and other sources had outed my PhD supervisor, Halper, as a spy known to the UK's MI6 intelligence service. It didn't seem real. Could a former professor I once trusted as a mentor have betrayed his word, his profession, his country to start these disasters? I moved to England to get away from D.C., as I mentioned. As I started to piece together what happened over the next few months, I realized something. The stories that the New York Times, Washington Post, and others were pushing didn't add up. Many seemed planted to cover up or advance the agendas of several individuals whose tentacles ran secretly through these scandals, and who each had long-standing ties to intelligence services like the FBI, CIA, and MI6. He calls them the Cambridge Four. The more I dug up new pieces of this puzzle, the more I saw how these individuals' seemingly separate acts might fit together in an absurd picture of how these scandals really started. Armed with first-hand knowledge and evidence, I quietly sought to help investigators, federal investigators, undercover these scandals' mysteries. It was not my first rodeo. He was involved in the 9-11 investigation at a very high level. Uh, This helped me keep a stiff upper lip when I was falsely accused in 2019 by the House Intelligence Committee's ranking Republican and others on television as being part of a secret anti-Trump cabal. As much as I wanted to defend myself, I knew our best shot of exposing the real forces... Behind these scandals was for me to remain publicly silent and not let those under investigation know what I knew or was willing to say. So a few weeks ago, I started to speak to the DOJ lead investigator, John Durham, to give his team a heads up. I would continue to help, but my time waiting for the government to act was over. Recently, I discovered and flagged for Durham disturbing recordings. One involved one of the Cambridge Four, Halper, and raised serious questions about the origins of what has been called the kill shot, against General Michael Flynn. On January 12, 2017, a felony leak about phone calls between the Russian ambassador and General Flynn was published by the Washington Post. This led to Flynn's downfall and reignited the Trump-Russia investigation, still tearing our nation apart. 48 hours before the leak was published, my former supervisor, Halper, eerily laid out what was about to happen to Flynn, something he had no independent reason to know. Halper described how Flynn's so-called enemies would make Flynn, quote, blow up. He's really effed. The next legal hearing on Flynn's prosecution is this Tuesday. Yet for four years, government officials have withheld key materials and blocked individuals like Halper from testifying about the real genesis of these scandals and the felony leak on Flynn. While I once worked in Republican politics, I know Americans of every affiliation believe citizens deserve a fair trial without government concealing evidence. The remaining mysteries of Russiagate are too important to be turned into a game of political football or buried until after the election when unsubstantiated allegations could be dug up to sabotage Vice President Biden if he is elected president, as I believe was done to President Trump. And he goes into some detail, but one of the most dramatic parts of this is he once again says that if anybody relied on the Steele dossier for anything, They're a fool or an idiot or a liar. Everybody knew at the outset that the Steele dossier, which was spoken of in such serious terms on TV, James Comey and Susan Rice and all of those people, everybody knew from the beginning. It was just a bunch of rumors and barroom talk. And Steele made that clear. But they trumped it up, no pun intended, to be something incredibly significant and scary. Um, And at one point... uh, 
Schrag, this character who's being quoted, says, There's far too much to tell in a single article. In the next several weeks, I plan to reveal what I know, including the comedy of errors leading to a Cambridge Four member meeting and targeting the FBI's main surveillance excuse, Carter Page. The information given to an FBI source in August 2016 should have immediately ended their investigation, alleging Page was a master spy linking Trump, top Trump officials to Trump. Um, <clears throat> yeah, that's uh, that gets back to the Steele dossier. They immediately uncovered the fact that that information was crap, but they went with it and continued to pretend they didn't know that because it was useful to them. How a secret anti-Trump source sought one of the world's most powerful positions that could undermine the president and how official statements by FBI's crossfire hurricane officials to the DOJ inspector general were factually inaccurate or wildly inconsistent with other evidence, raising the question of if those officials risk criminal prosecution to conceal their acts. And this goes on for pages. And this is just the first of what he plans to be several blasts on the topic, but. It is unfortunate in a way that a story of this kind that uncovers illegal activity and unethical activity and and thoroughly stinkingly un-American activity might not get any traction and nothing might come of it. In fact, nothing probably will come of it because there's just no taste in the mainstream media to to build up the pressure to call people to account for what they've done, um, which is troubling, and it's really disappointing. But if it's of any consolation to you at all, uh, a lot of the truth is now being spoken, and it's being uh, spoken out loud. So, uh, The Tulane speaker cancellation story, unintentionally hilarious, and the way they're manipulating all of us online, good stuff. Hope you can hang around. There have now been 70 consecutive nights of protests that began as a Black Lives Matter outcry over the killing of George Floyd, but have now, according to the mayor of Portland, completely lost sight of that cause. When you commit arson with an accelerant in an attempt to burn down a building that is occupied by people that you have intentionally trapped inside, you are not demonstrating. You are attempting to commit murder. Holy cow! That's the uh, uh, sackless mayor of Portland, Oregon, Ted Wheeler, pointing out what we've been pointing out for many, many weeks. Perhaps Ted is finally listening to the Armstrong and Getty show. That you can demonstrate if you would like. But when you are setting fires of occupied buildings, you are hurling bricks at people, you are shining lasers in cops' eyes, which should be a felony. You're not demonstrating, you're committing crimes. You know, I should be glad that Ted's finally come along. It bothers me how long he was ignoring the opposite, because he was uncomfortable criticizing his own side. Um, But at least he's saying it out loud. Clean out the streets. Anyway, I uh, brought, brought you this uh, story a little earlier, but we didn't get a chance to finish it. It's just been a busy day. Oh, that's right. I was going to talk about Chicago. Uh, chaos, ugliness in Chicago overnight. Uh, there was a, uh, a guy in one of the rough hoods 
who uh, the cops were called because there was a guy with a gun uh, uh, doing nasty stuff. Cops showed up. The guy squeezes off a couple of shots at him. The cops returned fire, get him down. He's uh, he's going to recover in the hospital. But, you know, a crowd of neighbors and, <clears throat> and folks gathered. And this 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 lunatic, and I saw the video of it, starts preaching to the crowd about they killed a boy. They killed a child. They shot him even after he was down, said, I'm down. And he's just making all this stuff up. And he whipped up the crowd. Word spread around, social media, et cetera. <clears throat> and before you know it, there's hundreds of people riding downtown Chicago, smashing up uh, some of the, like, the Magnificent Mile on Michigan Avenue. And Lake Street's been closed off. And they uh, opened all the bridges over the Chicago River so people couldn't flood into downtown and continue the riot and looting. They stopped bus service and train service, uh, service and all that. And, and the cops... <clears throat> excuse me, rep- re- responded to downtown to try to stop the violence. But it's just craziness. And again, based on bad information, being whipped up by the news media and the, the, the progressive lunatics, and uh, 100 people arrested for looting, battery, other disorderly conduct. Um, They're going to have some curfews tonight, I guess. The 20-year-old man who shot at the cops first, has uh, been arrested four previous times, including for burglary and child endangerment, and his gun was recovered at the scene. Going to be heavy police presence downtown, officers returning to 12-hour shifts, all days off canceled, downtown access restricted from 8 a.m. I'm sorry, 8 p.m. to 6 uh, a.m. Wild, wildness in my hometown. That city is crumbling. Oh, there are dozens of people shot over the weekend in uh, just shooting each other. Uh, three dead as Chicago continues to uh, be. They're like the world's most incredible trauma surgery graduate school. If you're a surgeon in Chicago, just wait. You'll get to you work on a gunshot wound tonight. If not tonight, certainly tomorrow. <clears throat> Good job, Mayor Lightfoot. You're doing a fabulous job, though. Don't you worry about it. Moving along, uh, Tulane University. There's this this book that was hot, I guess. Got a lot of attention in your your woke community. The Life of a Klansman, A Family History of White Supremacy. It's the latest book by a guy named Edward Ball, whose award-winning 1998 book, Slaves in the Family, traced the history of people enslaved by this guy's own ancestors. In Klansman, he uh, profiles his grandfather, a great-grandfather who joined the Klan. The New York Times hailed it as a haunting tapestry of interwoven stories, blah, blah, blah. The anti-racism scholar Ibram X. Kendi participated in a virtual discussion about it, said it was wonderful, and and so on. It earned all sorts of accolades. Well, this guy was supposed to speak in a... And you know what? I left this out the first time I I talked about the story. He was supposed to participate in a virtual talk about the book. It was going to be online. But the... Woke, snowflakey activist students said that the event was not only inappropriate, but violent towards the experience of black people in the Tulane community in our country. Others called it harmful and offensive, demanded it be it should be canceled. In short, they said this guy even discussing the book was just it was violence and scary for people of color. And we shouldn't even have him discuss the book. This guy's on the super woke side. There's a lot I don't like about this, but the this whole words are violence thing. Oh yeah, is so scary. Yeah, it it exists for two reasons. Number one, violence is indefensible. 
So if your words are violence, your words are indefensible. There is an incredible interest on the left. Used to be in the right. Someday I will bore you to death with a history of of conservative uh, censorship in the 20th century. I've read a great deal about it. I find it loathsome. Having said that, all that energy is now on the left. And they want to silence you. And if words are violence, if you say something they don't like, they can be physically violent to you because in virtually every legal system and ethical system on earth, you can defend against violence with violence. So it is an insidious bit of trickery that they call words violence. But anyway, they said, no, we can't have someone talking about this. Uh, A book on white supremacy It's too scary. Well, as Robbie Suave uh, writes in um, in um, uh, Reason, uh, a Tulane grad posted on Instagram about the postponement and said, listen, because the university canceled it. He said, listen, I'm really disappointed with this decision. An associate director in Tulane's admissions office responded, go cry about it. Some of the demands that have been uh, issued in Tulane, partly in response to this, Included the enactment of zero-tolerance policy for offensive language. Oh, we're back to silencing people. As well as reparations for students who suffered emotional trauma. You should get reparations if you're upset. This is a university, not a kindergarten? Armstrong and Getty. We're probably going to have another wave. And the concern now is that this has become so pervasive across the country that it could start to infect more rural communities that have largely been untouched to date and probably are a little bit more complacent because they have been untouched but are still very vulnerable because the infection hasn't been there. If if this does become more pervasive across the country, and it's not just in the urban centers but also in more rural parts of the country, that's going to be far more difficult to control if it's more widespread. And we're seeing indications of that right now, the way it's spreading in the Midwest and the West. Dr. Scott Gottlieb there, former guy from the, uh, was it the FDA? Um, he's been uh, omnipresent on cable news. I kind of want to hear clip 42 as well. He's talking about um, how long you're contagious and that sort of thing. Well, the data shows 10 days after the onset of symptoms, you're no longer shedding virus that um, can cause someone else to become infected. So you'll continue to shed virus for a persistent period of time. But when that virus has been cultured, it hasn't grown, which means it's dead virus. And so right now, the recommendation is that 10 days after the onset of symptoms, if those symptoms have resolved, if you don't have severe illness, then you're no longer contagious. Previously, we were saying about two weeks, but the more recent data outlines about 10 days. Okay, interesting. So when are you most contagious, doctor? It is the case that if you're asymptomatic, you're less likely to spread the virus. CDC models that people who are asymptomatic are about 50% less likely to spread the virus. And you're probably most contagious right before you develop symptoms. And that's really what leads to these super spreading events. People don't know that they're sick yet because they haven't quite developed symptoms. They may be a day away from developing symptoms and they go into a confined space and it leads to these situations where one case can lead to 30 cases. So after you've had symptoms for a number of days, your, your infectivity, your ability to spread the virus probably declines. Uh, before we get to the next clip, you know, if you never studied viruses in school, they're really interesting beasts. 
they're not alive in the conventional sense. Um, they're strands of RNA, genetic material, and they are a parasite. They want a host. They want to live and reproduce. Uh, just Relatable. Like me. Just like me. Uh, certainly engage in the act of reproduction. Although uh, viruses don't do that. That's not how they reproduce, <laughs> which proves they viruses are stupid. Yeah. They should try it. Uh, anyway, uh, they need a parasite a cellular on a cellular level or just a, a beast. They need a beast to replicate their DNA for them. And so that's why they spread. They have no conscience. They have no consciousness. They just want a host. Um, but that's uh, that's unfortunate that you're. they think for now, everything with a grain of salt these days, you're most contagious before you show symptoms. Uh-oh, finally. Well, that was the first I'd heard about the, the 10-day window where after that you've you've lost the ability to spread it to a certain extent. I'm, yeah. I'm obviously paraphrasing what he said there, but that seems yeah. like a big deal. Yeah, the virus no longer has troops flowing out of you looking yeah. for new lands to conquer. It's engaged with fighting you uh, to, to, you know, be a little metaphorical here with our epidemiology. Clip 44, he talks about schools. So we're learning a lot about this novel virus all the time. We need to have a degree of humility about the risks. We need to try to protect children. So if we do reopen schools, and I believe we should, we need to do it with a sense of caution. This is complicated by the fact that there's been really a mixed experience when it comes to reopening the schools. We've seen some countries successfully do it. Germany, the Netherlands, Denmark have successfully reopened schools, albeit with a lot of measures to try to control the risk of outbreaks. Sweden left their schools open. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, Israel reopened schools and it led to outbreaks that then led to a resurgence nationally. And we've seen outbreaks in summer camps, a situation in Georgia and Missouri. We've seen large outbreaks among kids in summer camps. So we need to try to learn what went right, what went wrong, and as we step forward and try to reopen the schools this fall. I would like to talk to Got- Dr. Gottlieb. I wonder if we could get him booked. Uh, I have a couple of contrarian questions I'd like to a- ask him, because I, I, I don't think he was wrong on any of that stuff he said. I just, I'm not convinced that it's not a good thing when kids get it and immediately get over it and can no longer be vectors. I just wonder whether we are going to spend mind-boggling amount of, uh, amounts of money, time, and, and stress trying to avoid something that is unavoidable, which is getting to the point of uh, the tipping point where they're just not, not herd immunity exactly, but once you hit a certain percentage of the population, the virus just can't find enough uh, hosts, and it, it fades out. Um, but we'll work on that. We'll see if we can get him on because he strikes me as a very reasonable guy. He is not a a flaming rhetoric uh, firing um, political type or, or cable news jackass. Yeah, he's one of the small handful of people that I listen to a lot of what he says, and it, it I, I weighed it a great deal against a, a lot of the nonsense that's out there. Right, and yeah. he doesn't have to be right all the time. No. He's no. reasonable. He's trying to take what is known and balance that against the other. Um, interests and risks we're talking about. You know, not to beat this thing to death, but we are talking about earlier how people with heart attacks are not going to the hospital because they're terrified of the COVID. People are not getting their cancer screenings because they don't want to be in a doctor's office. And the number of people who die of lung cancer alone dwarfs the COVID thing. Never mind all the other cancers. Heart disease is still the number one killer in America. And people are ignoring heart attacks? It's because... Everybody, especially the media, I blame the media. Jack blames the media blamers. Um, But the media has so hyped the vid. 
The vid is serious. It's a terrible disease. Terrible disease. And it is overhyped. Clickonomics. Transition music, Michael, briefly. seen this video, it's two grown men dressed in elf costumes. I forgot about the elf costumes. Kind of grooving <laughs> along, well, the kind of leader hose in that, that whole Swiss-German look. And they're lip-syncing, if you will, to the... <laughs> and kind of just groove into the tunes. It's so awful, it's wonderful. Alright, turn it off. Turn it off! We mentioned this last week. Wall Street Journal did a piece on uh, uh, the insidious ways web retailers get you to do what they want you to do. It's often referred to as dark patterns. And it ranges from the just, if you fall for this, I can't help you stuff. Like the yes button is bigger and brighter than the no button. <laughs> I'm going to click on the bright one because it's bright. I don't know what to do for those people. I, I My favorite was the, uh, the, the big brain rhetorical trap of are you interested in this offer or do you not like savings? Right, exactly. <laughs> oh, but I don't want them to think I don't like savings, so I guess i got to click on that one. I mean, if you're so weak-willed, that you can let a website shame you into doing what they obviously want you to do <laughs> for their purposes. Again, I don't think I can help you. Now, if you're six years old and you're listening to the show right now, I'd be more than happy to describe what I'm talking about and help you understand it. But if you're a grown human being and you, you fall for that sort of thing, again, I just don't. I, I would like to spend a day inside your head and see what things look like. But anyway, back to the theme of the thing. Uh, they mentioned that... Um, uh, and we talked about this a bit last week, the trying to give you a sense of scarcity, saying that uh, 23 people were looking at this, probably going to buy it, or uh, we're down to low, low stock. Well, they looked into it, and on most sites, it's completely fabricated. It's just lines of code. There aren't 32 people looking at this right now, and they're not down to their last few. It is completely dishonest. I like this one where they use the um, the countdown clock. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Discount only available for 32 minutes, 31 minutes, 29 minutes. Well, they through technical terms, uh, they use bots. Uh, they watched hundreds of these. And after the allotted time passed, simply just they just reset the clock. Oh, look at that. Or the discount was still available after the clock had run out. The clock was completely meaningless. The timers were there to urge people to impulsively make a purchase rather than notify them about a sale with a legitimate expiration date. I've actually experienced that where I was buying something and it had that clock thing, but the, the, the sale didn't go through. And, you know, when I went to circle back the next day and didn't see the confirmation email or whatever, I kind of call up the company. Say, hey, is it still possible to get that? Ray? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's fine. That's fine. No yeah, problem. nice. <laughs> and, and I believe we talked about this. The one that I run into the most. Most, and and it's certainly the most amount of money is the airplane tickets. Oh yeah, only two left. Mm-hmm. I wonder. I wonder. I'm not. I don't think they address that specifically um, in the Wall Street Journal piece or this Wired.com piece. But uh, I'm gonna start I paying attention to that on flights. Hey, when I bought this, it said two left. Why are there 92 seats open yeah, on this? How flight? come this flight is half empty? <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah. But the one thing I found especially intriguing and didn't see it coming, um, you've known for, for a long time, right? Amazon, you buy a toy, it says, often bought together. And it has the batteries for mm-hmm. the toy or, or a carrying case or whatever, depending on what you're buying. Um, and, of course, they'll offer free shipping for orders over a certain amount. That's also a way to get you to... To, to do what they want you to do, but that's fairly straightforward. That's just a transaction. Yeah, free shipping at $50. You have a $40 purchase. Well, I don't know. Let, let me find something else to get over that $50 sure. threshold. I'm going to need some deodorant eventually. Yeah. Right. Um, uh, and they mentioned that you might hand over your email address if uh, you get a better deal or whatever. But uh, what I hadn't realized is when Amazon.com was struggling to fulfill the surge in orders, during the the height of the pandemic mm-hmm. shutdown, they tweaked the website to encourage their customers to buy less and not more. Um, they modified shipping timelines and inventory. They disabled their recommendation feature that yeah. displayed the batteries with your toy and and whatever else. So instead of pressing the gas, they tapped the brake so people wouldn't be unhappy that they're you know they're paying for Prime but they didn't get you know their their two-day delivery took 14 days. It's more important that they are satisfied with lesser purchases than us trying to get an extra 30% out of the purchase and not being able to fulfill it. Yeah. Jeff Bezos, for all of his strangeness and, and hmm, th- there are times when people are not necessarily bad people, but they weigh 50,000 pounds. So if you bump into them, you'll be crushed. Right, and right. Amazon is so gargantuan at this point, and the Washington Post and his empire is so gargantuan, the slightest misstep crushes people and crushes businesses and the rest of it. Um, but having said that, the guy has a a real gift for seeing down the road. Yeah, um, Long-term planning. Can you imagine... Running one of the most successful enterprises ever designed and realizing, okay, people are starting to get torqued off. Let's convince them to buy less for a little while. It's, it seems counterintuitive, but upon further examination, it, it makes it makes a lot of sense as well, a business genius. practice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's probably worth knowing that uh, Princeton and University of Chicago published a study looking at 11,000 different shopping sites and found the dark patterns, the really deceptive stuff, on 11 or 12% of them. Now, it it included some major retailers like JCPenney, which, at this point, that's desperation. Penny's just trying to stay in business. Well, I also feel like there were some brick-and-mortar kind of traditional retail stores that would outsource their online presence to other things, just because they are not tech-savvy or whatever. And they didn't really know what was being done on their behalf. Exactly. If here at Joe's Online Shopping, I get hired by Sears to save their bacon, throw that bacon away. That bacon can't be saved. But, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm thinking, all right, I promised them a certain amount of clicks. I'm just going to enjoy, uh, I'm going to indulge rather in a few of these uh, these dark patterns. A little uh, fake timer, a little uh, Jenny's about to buy this. You better click quick. Uh, so I get that. But So anyway, buyer beware. And again, if if you say yes, I'll buy it just because the the yes button is red and yellow, and the no button's just black. In some ways, I'm envious of that person. It, it's got to be such an easy existence. Yes, not really having to put much thought into actions and just being drawn, just being dragged across the internet by various colors of buttons or uh, rhetorical traps that four year olds could think their way through. <laughs> I child, got, I got busy, you child. And only read part of this piece. I keep saying I'm going to go back and read the rest of it. But this woman's headline was, 
I just found out not all people have an internal monologue, and it terrifies me. Hmm. Some people drift through life, I'm told, and they never talk to themselves. Is it just like a test pattern tone going on in their head the whole time? I, I think maybe they just see the world around them and take it in like a cow. <laughs> I don't know why like a cow made that hit so well, much harder. Well, uh, one, uh, <laughs> one of my favorite lines in, in all of rock and roll... Um, uh, I believe the song is If Dirt Were Dollars. It was a Don Henley uh, solo uh, tune. Perhaps from the Building a Perfect Beast album, he says, displaying the fact that far too much of his brain is taken up with music trivia. Um, she stared at me uncomprehendingly like cows at a passing train. Wow. I thought that was a beautiful line. A little hurtful, a little insulting to the gal in question, but she's got a cow brain. She doesn't care. All right, we're going to finish strong in moments. Stay with us. Armstrong and Getty. Maybe I could be a billionaire if I wasn't always broke. And I could be a comedian if I was missing yet another series now. 55 games to make up, and after this weekend, it'll be 48 days left in the in the season. So we'll find out if they're going to make them all up. But this is a real, real uh, tough schedule for the Cardinals. Did I hear that correctly? 55 games in 48 days. That is correct. It's going to be a, a rigorous schedule. I hope those lads are in good shape. Not going to happen. Oh, there's a pretty good baseball fight. Oakland A's and oh, was it yeah. Houston? The I believe so, yeah. Houston, yeah. <laughs> did you, so did you see with uh, the fans not being allowed in attendance to heckle the Houston Astros in the traditional manner? Mm-hmm. I believe there was an A's fan who bought one of those, uh, you, you know, you can hire the plane to drag along sure. the message behind it. Time and, honored. And on it, it said the Houston asterisks. Oh. That was a good one. Oh, nice good play shot. Words, yeah. Uh, fabulous. Um, let's see, what else was I going to say? I'm not sure we asterisks. have for this. Uh, yes, Astros. Ast- it's a like, hard thing to say. I, I think Asterisk. I'm- yeah, people uh, say asterisk. There's an S at the end. It's your language. Learn it. <laughs> or we'll put an asterisk after your name. I don't want the show to be over, but I am ready to listen to the final thoughts from Armstrong again. Uh, here's your host, me, Joe Getty. Jack is actually off uh, helping with a medical procedure at this point for his little lad. He's a fine dad. Uh, let's get a final thought from everybody on the crew, starting with Michelangelo pressing the buttons in the control room. Michael, your final thought. Sorry, I didn't realize it was final thoughts already. I'm on this website. I got two minutes to order this VHS copy of Smokey and the Bandit 3. I got to click this pretty red button. Yeah, yeah. Don't let it time out, Michael. I Take won't. care of it. Positive Sean, our producer, has a final thought. Yeah, discovered a fun uh, limited series over this weekend called Good Omens on Amazon. It's uh, one of the, it's uh, yeah, the gods are playing a cosmic game right under our noses, and no. people are just kind of a pawn sort of thing. It's, Stupid it's, it's, gods. It was a really fun watch. I enjoyed it. It's, uh, I think, seven, eight episodes, something like that. Mm. Speaking of being pawns in the game, I went on a golf trip with some friends over the weekend. Played uh, three days in a row for the first time since my latest joint replacement. I feel like I was hit by a car, then another car, then gored by a moose. Uh, But it's it's a process, baby steps. Um, But in doing that, we crossed a couple of county lines, and 
on one county, you had to wear a mask only two people at once in the control room, but you could go in there and buy a souvenir hat, really cool golf course or whatever, where you'd want a souvenir, and so that'd be fine. But they only had one bathroom open, one magical bathroom where you couldn't get the COVID. The rest of them were closed. Now, you explain to me what was so magical about bathroom A as opposed to bathroom B. All the water fountains are closed off because everybody knows that it's just hot and cold running COVID that comes out of faucets. Seriously, people, this is why we're all so cynical. It's just idiotic. And I really got to go. Armstrong and Getty wrapping up another grueling four-hour workday. So many people think so little time. Go to armstrongandgetty.com. We have that video of the uh, Patriots of Fort Collins, Colorado, giving hell to the uh, Antifa guys after they hassle a wheelchair-bound veteran. That was a mistake. We'll see you tomorrow. God bless America. You having a good time? Okay, I, I did not say okay. that. I've sat here for over three hours and 15 minutes. <laughs> that sucks. If you wish to leave, you may. Let me just say... How very, very dismaying and disappointing. Not uh, good. And just change the channel from this mesmerizing horror show. We'll be better tomorrow than we were today. Then we heard the words. It's over for me. Adios, mofo. Okay, so we're, we're, you're, we're dismissed, is that correct? Do you want to rephrase uh, what you're doing? <laughs> Armstrong and Getty. Come back tomorrow morning for Armstrong and Getty, 6 till 10. Stop! And iHeart's radio station. Talk 650 KSTE. Rancho Cordova.